All right, while they're getting uh, to their place, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn in the Bible or turn on your phone or whatever you're looking at. Um, I'm already in the sun. I'm, I'm going to be sweating. I need somebody to come towel me off. I got too much stuff to move. I'll be all right. I will suffer. I'll suffer. Because I'm like that. I'll suffer. <laughs> Y'all have to suffer listen to me preach, so I might as well suffer too, right? I oh, know. We're good. We're good. All right. So Luke chapter 15. Um, if you've read this story or these series of parables before, you may have known where I was going with this extremely difficult example that I did. <laughs> um, we should have probably done teenagers and adults, but y'all wouldn't have wanted to bend over and pick those things up, would you, if y'all like me? I used to, man, I, I realize how old I'm getting. I'm going to be, in October, I'll be 44 years old, and stuff Stuff just gets hurt. You know, you'll hurt yourself in the shower. And used to, I'd fall off a building and get up and be like, and be good. But now, like, you bend over in the shower to, like, put soap on your knee. And you're like, oh, and you pull your back out. So that's just the way life is. So um, anyway, if you've read this story or this series of parables, there's actually three parables that we're going to touch on today uh, from Luke 15 that really touch on what we're talking about here. But anybody catch the significance of what we were doing there? There's a parable. The first one is the parable of the lost. Actually, the first one is the lost sheep. The next one is a lost coin. And so we're going to talk about these things a little bit. All right. So here's the thing. In Luke chapter 15, beginning of verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So what's, what do you have going on is you have these people that everybody else looked at as not being worthy. They were gathering around Jesus because they loved his message of love and hope and grace. They knew there was something different about him. The way that he taught was so different than the way any other teachers of the law had taught time and time again. And so people were drawn to him naturally. And the ones that everybody else would put on the outskirts and didn't want to be around, the tax collectors and sinners. And in case you don't know, uh, I really love, I, I try to put a plug in every now and then. Did any of you guys get to see the, the I guess it's a series technically, uh, called The Chosen? Has anybody seen that yet? If you haven't seen it, you really need to look into it. It's excellent. It's, uh, it's a little bit of history. It's a little bit of story to add in to kind of add the backstory. But I felt like they did everything really true to the scriptures as best they could. But it's the life and the ministry of Jesus. And season one has been completed. You can find it on DVD, and you can even find it on an app. If you just get on your smartphone platform and search The Chosen, I believe it should come up, and you can watch through that. Second, the second season should be coming out sometime in the next few months. But, man, it's good stuff. And you get an idea about tax collectors in there and how they were thought of. Matthew, one of the followers of Jesus, was a tax collector, and he was hated because they saw him as a traitor to the Jewish people because he worked for the Romans, and he was taking more money. And a lot of times tax collectors were not kind, and they, they were given this basic guideline. You take the taxes that Rome asked for, and then anything else you want to take off the top, feel free. You can add additional taxes, and you can become a very, very rich person. And you can believe a lot of them did that. If, you know, I know it shocks you to know that government officials can take a lot of money from you. I know, and the air goes out of the room, right? But that was the same case back then, except it was completely unregulated. Now we just pretend it's regulated. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but here's the thing. So tax collectors and sinners were the ones that were gathering to Jesus. And the sad thing is, is that the religious people are the ones who got upset by that. They're like, I like what Jesus is saying. Now, some of them were thinking this. They're like, I like what Jesus is saying, but 
I cannot associate with these people and be a good Jewish person. All right, so let's keep on in the, in the verse. So Jesus just tells them a story. He knew they were upset, and here's what he says. Verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. All right, so Jesus tells the first story here, and he talks about this. He, get, he uses the example of what? A shepherd and sheep. All right, so one sheep goes missing. He's got 99 others, and he still does what? He leaves the 99, and he does all he can to find the, the one. And when he finds that one, it's like what? A party, right? I mean, it's just rejoicing, celebrating. It's not just, oh, yes, that's excellent. I found my sheep. It's nothing like that. I mean, it's like rejoicing. He goes home, he calls his friends together, and he says, it's party time because I found my one sheep. And, you know, some people might look at him and think, man, you're crazy. you got 99 more. Why go risk life and limb and injury and get out there and look for that one? I mean, do the odds, right? But he's saying, look, this one is so important, it's worth throwing a party. It's worth sacrificing time and effort, and we're going to celebrate. And so he does that. He does exactly that. And it, and it says specifically, Jesus says, there's so much joy. Mm, excuse me, I keep getting, I'm not getting emotional. I just, mm, something going on. I swallowed a bug or something. But anyway, he's, he's celebrating. He says, there's so much joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. There's so much more over 99 people who are righteous who don't need to repent. Now, let me ask you to do a little bit of critical thinking. A lot of you probably already gone there. I know it's, it's, it's early. You don't want to do critical thinking. But at least it's not real, real hot and sweaty. All right? Is there anybody who really doesn't need to repent? Everybody needs to repent at some time in their life. Probably, if we're honest, we probably all have something to repent of every single day. And that's a part of God's plan of salvation that I believe continues on and on and on again. Because you can easily get turned around, and that's really all that repentance means, is turning away from sin and turning to God, doing a 180, if you will. And you can easily get turned around and get facing the wrong direction and need to turn around back to God. And so I think Jesus is sort of getting a dig in at these religious people who didn't want these sinners and tax collectors to come to Jesus. And he's saying, I am so excited about this one that I go find that was lost more so than all of you guys that don't think you even need me. Now, that's my paraphrase, but I believe that's true to what you see in the Scripture. I believe it's true to what you see in the text here. And so Jesus says they're celebrating when people come back to God. Look at verse 8, the next parable, the one I was sort of illustrating here with the very intricately hidden coins that I did. All right. So in verse 8 it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin... Go, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels over God, of God over one sinner who repents. So he tells the next story, and he talks about this woman who has ten coins, right? She loses one. Now, to give you a little bit of understanding here, it says there's a drachma. He, she loses one of her ten drachmas. We've talked a lot over the past few weeks about denarii or denarius. 
And those are a day's wages. Uh, in the Greek, a drachma was a day's wage as well. So it's a significant amount of money. One full day's pay that she lost. But she still has how many more? She still got nine. She still got nine. She lost one, but she still got nine left. But nevertheless, what does she do? She takes it serious. You know, many times they had floors that were just made out of dirt and earth, and so you had to sweep, and it could get really dusty and dirty, and a coin could easily get lost in the house. So she flips everything upside down and looks for this coin, and when she finds it, what does she do? She celebrates again. She rejoices. Does it look like, oh, yes, I found my coin. Hmm. No, she celebrates. I mean, she is excited. She's ecstatic. And it says, how did, she, how did she find that thing? Besides sweeping, what was the other thing she did? She lit, lit a lamp. Did you catch that? What did we talk about several weeks back? I know you guys memorize all my sermons, and then you go watch them online later, right? Y'all do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. But we talked about a light and a lamp. And in that culture. So she lit the lamps to make sure the light would flood over the entire room because many times their homes were very, very dark. Do you get the uh, symbolism that Jesus is teaching in this story? He's saying you got to get the light out and you got to go into the dark places and you got to put out some effort and you find this lost coin. And when you do, it says, just like in heaven, when a sinner repents, all of heaven celebrates. Let me ask you this question. Does your response look like this when people are baptized into Jesus, like described in these stories? I have to tell you, and I'm not really specifically talking about a movement church. I hope and pray that we're different. I feel like we have been. But I've been a part of far too many baptisms when people are surrendering their life to Jesus that the response from everybody watching looked kind of like the royal family clapping at Wimbledon. Oh, yes. Amen. Huzzah. But that doesn't look like the rejoicing that Jesus describes. Does it look like it to you? I mean, he's talking about celebrating. He's talking about calling your friends and throwing a party. And what I'm trying to say is if we understand who God is and we understand how lost we are and we understand that Jesus left the 99 and came after us, the one, and that goes for everyone. And we understand that he swept the house and he turned the light on and he uses his church to do that. And when one is found, when one comes home, that there's partying, that there's celebration in heaven. How dare we act like it's not a big deal when somebody surrenders their life to Jesus? Sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we just act like, oh, okay, oh, no big deal, no big deal. But what has happened is a life, an old life has ended and a new life has begun. If you've ever been a part of a, a child coming to this earth, whether it be your child or, or your brother or sister, your niece or your nephew, your grandchild, man, you know it's party time when the baby's born and everybody finds out, right? I mean, I don't know too many people when the baby's born, they're like, oh, that's great. Hmm, look at that ugly little fellow. <laughs> you know, we don't do that, right? We don't do that. We celebrate. We're excited because of a new life. And that's what happens when somebody surrenders their life to Jesus. So let me ask you this question. If maybe you've caught yourself, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I know there's been times in my life when I haven't gotten as excited about somebody surrendering their life to Jesus, and probably you've been in the same boat. You're afraid to maybe show too much emotion. You don't know what people are going to think. But if you realize really what it is, it's like a missing child. And, man, it makes me so sad and so sick to see all the reports of missing children that we see time and time again on the news and on Facebook. But when a, a child is found, that's what it's like. There's celebration. I mean, there's rejoicing. 
And I believe that maybe when we struggle with celebrating and rejoicing new lives being born again and, and new people being found who were lost, I believe the reason is, I believe the reason is, is because of our perspective. I believe our perspective is off. I believe we tend to focus on ourselves rather than others. You know what I'm saying? I believe we can get so inwardly focused that we miss the point of what's going on. We're so concerned with ourselves being saved and then being safe and comfortable more than we are anybody else going to heaven. I'm probably not going to be real popular after this. Because <laughs> this hits home on a lot of us. It hits home on me in some ways. Sometimes I get so concerned with me being comfortable. I, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. You know, hopefully my family is too. And I'm good. And then we just sort of circle the wagons and we just sort of close the curtains and we protect ourselves. And man, Satan wants us to withdraw so much during this time. And I know we've got to be smart. We've got to be wise. But we cannot forget that there are people outside of our walls, outside of our homes, right next door, at the place where we work, wherever we go. There are people who need Jesus, and Jesus would have left the 99 to go find those, but right now he's called us to do that. And so you and I have to realize that it can't just be about self and our safety and our comfort knowing that people need Jesus. I really believe that, unfortunately, a lot of churches can become so inwardly focused that they become little more than holy country clubs. Man, I hope and pray that's not what our church ever becomes. I really don't feel like it is. I, this church isn't perfect by far. We are not perfect because it's made up of you and me, right? But this church, we care about people's souls and we're doing our best and we want to reach out to people. And so oftentimes when we get so caught up on ourselves, the question is asked, what can the church do for me? But that's not the question we need to be asking. Once we're part of the church, we don't need to be asking, what can the church do for me? We need to be asking, what can the church, that is us, do for the people that are out there? What can we do? Yes, for our brothers and sisters as a part of the church. But also, what can we do for the people who are outside of the church who don't know Jesus? What can we do? The church does not exist to make church people feel comfortable. We're out there to seek and save the lost, and that's what God has called us to do. And then Jesus tells a third parable. And forgive me for not spending a lot of time on this parable. I've taught on it several times before, and it's actually very well known. Even if people don't know the Bible, they often know this story. And it's often called the lost son or more commonly the prodigal son. But I'll give you the brief overview. This rich man has two sons. And he goes, and uh, the younger son says, hey, I want my inheritance now. What he's basically saying to his dad is, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. And the father kind and gracious as he is, divides up and gives him his share of the inheritance. The young guy goes off and spends it, parties, lives a crazy life, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, all that sort of stuff, pretty quickly runs through his money. Runs through his money, and he is there, and he's looking for a job, and the job that he finds is feeding pigs. Now, to any good Jewish boy, that is the most detestable thing you could be doing because pigs were the most unclean animal you could think of. And here he is feeding the pigs, and it gets so bad, do you remember? He sits and he envies the what? The food of the pigs. He longs to eat it. And he finally comes to his senses, and he says, Man, there are servants in my father's house that are living far better than I am. I'm going to go back and ask my father to be a servant. And he goes, and it says that the father was looking for him. 
The father was looking. He was waiting and watching. I don't know if he was spending every single moment, but he was watching continually for his son to come home. He probably had some of his servants and workers out there looking, saying, keep an eye out for that boy. When he comes home, I'm going to meet him. And when he does, it doesn't say that he stood there with his arms crossed, does it? It says the father dropped everything. Now I am getting a little choked up. He dropped everything and he ran to meet his son and he, he fell on his neck and he hugged him and he kissed him. And it says that he put a ring on his finger and put a robe on his back. Everything he did not deserve because what had he told his father basically before he left? I wish you were dead. But the father didn't care. His love superseded his son's stupidity. They can honk all they want as long as they don't. All that. But the father's love superseded the son's stupidity. I mean, he did not care. He did not forget. He didn't, he didn't say, don't you remember how we last left? I'm going to stand here, and when you're ready to apologize, you think about it. You come to me, and then we'll make things even. That's not what he said. But I hate to tell you, but there's been times as a father, as a husband, as a brother, as a friend that I've done that. That I've held my forgiveness like ransom. And I've not wanted to give it freely. I've not wanted to share my love, but he doesn't do that. But there's another part of that story that I kind of want us to focus on as we get a little closer to the end. We still got a little bit to go. But don't hold on. I'm not going to keep you too long. But there's that other brother, right? That other brother. The other son, he didn't have the perspective that his father did. The other son, he says, when he hears what's going on, he hears a party because the father throws a party. He offers the, the greatest, the fat and calf, and he's like, man, we're going to throw down and celebrate just like the other two parables, right? Because one who's lost now is found, one who was dead now is alive. And so they throw a party. The other brother's out working, you know, like he always did. And he says, come on, man, there's a party going on. What's going on? You know, he doesn't know what's going on. They explain, your brother who was lost now is home. He's found. And he's like, man, I... I've been here all along. I've been serving. I've been working. I, I've been taking care of everything. I've been holding my part down. I've been faithful to you, Dad. And not once have you offered to throw a party for me. And the dad says, look, son, all this was at your disposal at any time. I would have, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, I would have thrown a party for you at any time. You had access to all the goodness of my kingdom, but yet you didn't ask for it. You didn't appreciate it. You just wanted to keep score and keep count of how good you were. And so he's brokenhearted. It says there in verse... 20, uh, 28, but he was angry and refused to go into the party. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, all these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He didn't have that perspective of his father. He wasn't looking for his brother to return. He was probably kind of glad he was gone because he didn't deserve to be loved by the father. At least that guy thought. Simply put, he was focused on who? Himself. He was focused on himself. And just like that brother, when we focus on ourselves, we become bitter, we become unsatisfied, we become disgruntled, and we become selfish. And unfortunately, too often in, in the church, we can allow ourselves to become that. We focus inwardly, and we become disappointed and disgruntled and upset with everything. And instead of saying, what can we, the church, do for people, we say, what can the church do for me? And I'm here to tell you, you're never going to be happy. Because the idol of self is the most difficult God there is to please. Its appetite is insatiable. You give yourself more, and it's only going to want more. 
And just like the fiery furnace, when it was heated up seven times hotter than before, it burned up the people throwing it in. You'll do the same thing to people who are trying to feed you and make you happy. You'll burn them up too. You'll destroy them. You'll eat them alive. And you'll, dis- you'll devour everybody and everything in your path when you're seeking to serve yourself. But when your focus is on others, you experience joy and fulfillment. Look at verse 32. The father says, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want you to consider for just a quick second. I want you to consider for just a quick moment the description that we see Paul give about baptism in Romans. And think about what we're witnessing when someone's baptized. Romans 6 verse 3 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So when we see someone baptized into Christ, when we ourselves are baptized into Christ, we see a death, a burial, and a resurrection. We see an old life that's washed away with all your sins, all your faults, all your hurts, the things that you have done, the things that have been done to you are washed away, and you are raised up to walk in a new life. Is that worth celebrating? An old person has gone, and a new person is alive through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ, we're made new, we're made whole by His power, by His grace, by His mercy. So what do we do? What do we do to make ourselves really focus not on ourselves, but on other people? 1 Peter Peter 3, verse 15 gives a good example. It says, But in your hearts revere or set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So simply put, live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. That what mean, that's what um, revere uh, Christ as Lord in your heart means. Live like Jesus as Lord. That means you've got to change some of your habits. That means you've got to change some of the ways that you spend time. That means instead of you know, two hours of Netflix, you might need to do two hours of Bible sometimes. You know? And I'm just as guilty. But that's the key, is spending time in God's Word and living a life that looks like Jesus died for you. Life change is what it's all about. And then, I know this isn't exciting to hear, but the second part is included in that passage too. Study God's Word. It says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. The only way you can do that is for spending time in God's Word. And it says to be able to do that with gentleness and respect. There's another passage I want to look at really quickly. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So guess what? I'm going to repeat it. Study God's word. He says, handle the word of truth correctly. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. So why do we always want another way? When, when the answer is, how do you want peace? How do you want to know God's will? How do you want to know God's plan? Well, let's read God's word. Was there another option? <laughs> Is there another door I can open? You know, can I trade for something else? But we got to understand God's word has the truth that we need. And so then one more thing that goes into that. Continually evaluate yourself. Continually evaluate yourself. 
Many times I've caught myself reading God's word. And when there's been corrections, I thought, yeah, I know somebody that needs to read that. You ever um, vague booked, I mean, Facebooked and put a scripture up that you want somebody else to read? <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, they won't get something out of it. But many times we need to make sure we get something out of it first. Compare ourselves to the word of God. Do your best to present yourself, yourself to God as one approved. And I, I'm going to be shameless here. And I'm going to tell you one of the ways you do that is through a connect group. Spending time in God's word throughout the week other than just Sunday morning. Um, it's good to read the Bible on your own. You need to be doing that. But you also need to be able to bounce things off of other people. And you need to live life with people and help them hold you accountable. And you hold them accountable. And so that's a great way to evaluate yourself compared to the Word of God. Talk to people and look for opportunities. And then I've said this before. It's been a while. But know your story. Everybody has a story that's powerful for somebody else to know Jesus through. And you need to hear. Uh, people need to hear your story. And so you need to know it in a, in a short way to tell it. And then you... You've got a long way. All of us have a long way to tell it. But make sure you learn a 30-second or a minute or a two-minute version of your story just so you can open the door for people to be able to hear. But here's the last thing as we get ready to wrap up. When self creeps in, and it will, the last thing I want you to do is this. Remember Jesus. Luke 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man keep, came to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. He said to seek and save the lost. And then Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus' main purpose was to help other people get into the kingdom of God. That is your purpose. That's my purpose. If you want to have a purpose-driven life to use that book that was written years ago, what you do is you be about God's kingdom business, and that's helping people get into the kingdom. First and foremost, that's what it's all about. Everything else flows out of and through all that purpose. So be about helping people get in the kingdom. Simply put, for the church to be the church, we have to seek and save the lost. There's really no other option. Yesterday, about 6 o'clock, Sherry and Luke, uh, Luke's birthday is coming up this week. And, uh, and uh, they went out, and, and she was like, I want you to go pick out a few things that you would like to do. He's getting to the age. He'll be 17, you know. He doesn't want surprises because what we get him might be lame, you know. <laughs> and so he wanted a few clothes, and she said, well, go and look around, find some things, and then I'll, you know, I'll come pick a few out and buy you some. And then she thought, well, I'm going to go look in Barnes & Noble out at Crabtree. And so she had to leave them all. She told him, and she said, I'm going to be over here. And anyway, all of a sudden, this chaos goes on. I don't know if you saw the news yesterday, but... Um, Luke and several other people around him heard gunshots in the mall. Um, just, just to give you the full story here, the news has since said once the police got there, the people that they talked to said they didn't hear gunshots, and they said there were some prearranged fights that took place. We raised Luke in the country. He knows what gunshots are. <laughs> and there was like 20 other people who heard the same thing at the same time. But regardless, what I want to tell you the story about is his response he thought it was gunshots and the people that came running towards him from the direction of the shots heard the same thing and they said there's shooting going on and so instead of just panicking and taking off and only thinking about himself 
he starts telling anybody and everybody, he says, look, you need to get out of here. He's not screaming. He's not in a panic, but he's just quickly moving. And he's like, come on, you got to get out of here. And there was a guy that was a little further down the mall. that's just sort of standing there. And he's just looking. He says, man, you got to get out. Come on. There's somebody was shooting back there. And he, he kind of grabs that guy. And that guy's like, oh, thanks. And he didn't know what was going on. And then he goes into Belk, which is on the end of the mall. And, and you know, you definitely couldn't hear it if you were in there. And so he starts telling people, look, we heard something. You need to get out. You need to get out. And there was one mom that was just sort of panicked. She just froze and her face just looked kind of terrified. She had her little child with her. And so my, my 16-year-old grabbed her by the, shoulder, her, the arm and said, come on, come with me, and helped her get out. And, and I, I don't know what happened. I, you know, there may not have been gunshots, but what I'm proud of is that my child was willing to think about other people and help them get to safety based on the situation he understood. And man, the first thing he said was, don't tell the story at church. <laughs> but I said, dude, that's my exact point for tomorrow. God set that up. God, God may have been like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Facebook, don't. If you don't know me, I'm not that crazy. But anyway. But I'm like, that was my exact point, is that we need to care about other people. And I love this fact. It, it, may, it just could not have been written any better, is that, yes, he was running or moving away, and, and he was getting out of the situation. He was looking out for himself, which I'm thankful for. But he didn't just forget everybody else along the way. And he even stopped and went back for some people that weren't moving in the right direction. And I don't say that to, to build him up. That just... It does my heart good to know that that's what you and I need to be doing. Is that there are people who are in danger who don't know they're in danger. And it's up to us to, in love, warn them and get them to safety. And that safety is Jesus. And there should be when one of those people comes home, when one of those sinners repents, when one of those coins is found, when that brother comes home that was lost and that sheep is found, there should be celebrating and that should be what drives us and inspires us and fires us up and calls us to go out and get more and more and more and more and more until heaven is busting wide open. That's what the church is supposed to be about. Let's save people. Let's be about the kingdom business. Are you focused on serving and saving others? Or are you focused on self? Let's be about others. And let's help the sinners come home. Let's help the sheep be found. And let's welcome our brothers as they come back. Let's pray. God, you are good. And your mercy is more than I deserve. And I have been one of those sheep. And I have been one of those coins. And I have absolutely been both brothers. But your love for all of us is overpowering and real. And so I pray, Father, that we would rest in that love. But we'd also realize that once we are found, there are so many more that need to be found as well. And that we would lay our lives down so that they could know freedom too. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.